We've been in a series called Examine Your Vision where we're like picking out topics in Christianity, kind of holding up to figure out what do these things mean to us personally. We're not here just to talk about the theology of the church, but also to kind of talk about what do they mean to us and to work out some issues, kind of see where people miss each other a lot of times in discussion. So here's some of the, we- the weeks we've gone through. We- we've examined the issues of salvation, the kingdom. We've debated how much Christians should engage culture as opposed to withdraw from it, what it means to be in the world and not of the world. We talked about political involvement, kind of something that stupefied all of you. Like, huh? <laughs> like we're supposed to be involved? Should Christians be politically involved or should we just withdraw totally and create our own kingdom? We talked about evangelism and, and the different methods of evangelism. We even asked whether we should just ditch evangelism. Did it even work anymore? In our kind of modern culture, is there any reason to have it? Some of you strongly defended it. Some of others of you kind of thought, oh, I'm not so sure it works. Missions. We covered the subject of missions and all the crazy things that Christians think and do in missions and also some of the things that work. Tonight, we're talking about truth and doubt. Here, I'm just going to tell you and then we'll discuss a few things. Here is what Christians are talking about in the church about truth and doubt. On one side, you have of a continuum people who believe that there's an absolute truth. People believe that the truth, there's only one truth and we have to discover it. We have to know what it is. On the other side is relative truth. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. This has been going on for many, many years in our society. Christians has been on the side of absolute truth. Maybe you can tell me why. Most of the world has been moving the other way to all truths are kind of relative to one another. There really isn't an absolute truth. You can't find it. What's true for me may not be true for you. So think about that for a second. Where are you on this continuum? What do you believe in? And here's the questions we're going to look at tonight. Is there really such a thing as absolute truth? Can we ever know the absolute truth, even if it does exist? Can we know what it is? Do we as Christians need to know that the Bible is absolutely true? Does that matter? I think we need to know that the Bible is absolutely true. We need to know that the Bible is absolutely true? Okay. Philip? It seems when you say, is there such a thing as absolute truth? implies that there's like one truth about what like is there an absolute truth about if water is wet there's an absolute truth it's like it implies an absolute truth is one thing about one thing but it's every factor something is either has an absolute truth or a relative truth value like so if I asked like is it true that strawberry ice cream tastes good like you could say I, I don't I don't know I mean that depends on who you're asking right but you do acknowledge that there are some things that are absolutely true Some things are absolutely true. Okay. How many people believe there is an absolute truth of some kind? Something that's absolutely true under every circumstance. Anyone dispute that there's an absolute truth? Okay. I mean, not of everything, like we said, there's some things, but there is some absolute measure of truth. Sounds like everybody agrees with that. It's not so controversial. All right. How about the second one? Can we ever know that truth then? Anyone give me an example of something that we know is absolutely true? Like you might say, like Jesus is God. Is that an absolute truth or is that subject to someone's debate about that? I think it's a philosophical debate. You ask me and I go, that's, that's, that's my sentiment. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm sitting in a coffee shop next to you, right? And, and we're debating what's true in life. And I say, Jamie, what's true in life? And you say, I believe Jesus, Jesus is God. That's true. And I go, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that he's God. So, does that mean that there's no absolute truth? What does that mean then? Yeah, Dave? 
I was just thinking about your example. Just because somebody doesn't believe absolute truth is the absolute truth doesn't make it not the absolute truth. Right. Right. The absolute truth exists. It's just a matter of whether people choose to accept it as the absolute truth or not. Or maybe how you would know it. Like if yeah. Jamie believes that Jesus is God is an absolute truth and I don't. It's possible we're both wrong. It's possible that he's right and I'm wrong. It's possible that he's wrong and I'm right. But I don't think, I mean, could we both be right? I mean, that's the real question. Because in our society today, the answer is, yes, we could both be right. Because to Jamie, he's God. So it's true for him. For me, he's not God. So it's also true for me. I mean, we could be looking at the sky. It doesn't have to be about things about God. We could be looking at the sky, and Jamie goes, I think it's blue. And I go, I think it's black. It just looks blue. Okay? We could both be wrong. We could, he could be right. I could, you know, we could keep going. But, one, but at some point, you've got to get to it where I don't think we could both be right in that case. Okay? Now, maybe you're saying, well, the way I perceive it. But really, we're trying to get to the truth. Yeah, go ahead. I say our, our beliefs and our perceptions don't change our reality. So. Okay, the, the comment is the beliefs and perceptions don't change reality. All right, let me give you an example of that in practice. How many people believe there's life on another planet in our universe? You believe that? Sure. Okay. I don't know if it's humans. But uh, but okay, it's let's, let's say like some sort of intelligent life. Hang on, let's say some sort of intelligent life. They don't have to be human, but some, something intelligent. How many people believe there's intelligent life on another planet? Okay. How many people believe there's no intelligent life on another planet? I don't know. <laughs> okay, does it matter what any of you believe as to whether there is life or no life on another planet? It kind of goes off of what Cody just said. Your belief is kind of irrelevant as to whether the thing exists or not. Okay, if there is life on another planet, well, if we discover it, fine. If we don't, that's probably because we haven't found it or it's not there. But really what you believe in raising your hands one way or another really doesn't matter. And that's the point of contention in trying to understand absolute truth. But Christians seem to focus on it a little too much sometimes. Okay, yeah. Uh, this morning, we, Kimber and I went to uh, Chino Hills Discovery Chapel. Big believers in absolute truth, right? Big believers in absolute truth. And, and uh, he actually said that every year he got an invitation to a, uh, a prayer meeting in the spirit of unity where leaders of every different religion got together and they prayed to their specific God. Or gods. Or gods. And uh, he, he said that he refuses to go to any of them because he prays to the one true God and he's not going to have anything to do with anything that is other than that. And he said that, uh, you know, basically society right now is trying to turn everything into relative truths instead of absolute truths. And even leaders of other religions are jumping on board with that which is why he doesn't support that spirit of unity or that relative truth. It's actually really good. Okay. I'm going to take off from that comment two points that we're going to lead into our next slides. Lots of Christians take that position, which is that we know the absolute truth, so we need to cling to it exclusively, which is good. We need to cling to it exclusively. But in the context of other people who may believe other things, then if we just cling to it exclusively, we built ourselves a ghetto. And we're secluding ourselves from the rest of the world. Remember that Paul, when he went to the Areopagus, and he saw that they were worshiping many gods, which is exactly what you're talking about, did not walk in there and go, my God's the only God, you guys suck. <laughs> right? 
He walked in and said, I notice here in the corner that you have an altar to an unknown God. And I can start to explain to you who he is because you guys are trying to cover your bases in case you forgot a God. He used their thinking. He used their polytheism, if you will. He used their hedging of bets to introduce the absolute truth, but didn't just walk in there and say, I have the absolute truth, you don't. He met them where they were, knowing the truth, not compromising it, but also not hiding behind it. That's comment one. Comment two is, look at this part about can we ever know the absolute truth. Consider verses in the Bible like this one. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a warning in scripture we have to keep in mind that as much as we think we've got it figured out, that the Lord is reminding us that your minds cannot encompass me. You can't fit me into your head the way that you think. You know, we sometimes say that the Lord sits back in heaven laughing as the churches are fighting amongst themselves about little doctrinal issues. I don't think he's laughing most of the time. As he's watching us debating things about him, and our minds are so small, we spent some time trying to figure out how big he really was when we did our series on the Trinity. You know? And I confess night after night that we did that for six weeks, my head was going to blow up. I didn't even, I, I actually didn't want to do the series anymore. Every time I tried to understand it, I almost started doubting more than having faith because it was too much for my little brain to put in there. And no matter how much justice we did to the subject, in the end we said, when God says there was no one like me, what he's, not, he's not saying there are no other gods. He's just saying there is nothing like my nature in the entire existed creation. And your little minds will never, ever understand me. I don't even think when we get to heaven we'll understand how it all works. Because we'll still be finite. So a stern warning to us, or maybe a gentle reminder in Isaiah, is as much as we think there's an absolute truth, which is good, we have to be careful that we become too arrogant to believe we actually possess it. We actually know what it is. Now, there are some promises in Scripture that are absolutely true. And there are some statements in Scripture where Jesus just tells us, or the Word just tells us, and we can go, I can take that as truth. But we have to be careful because sometimes, as you can see, church is fighting. We're fighting about what the truth is amongst ourselves because we're looking at the words and we're disagreeing even about what those are. And the Lord's saying, yeah, I don't think you can fit your minds, Ryan. Uh, just another verse is, uh, you know how it says, Jesus, I'm the way, the truth. Oh, good. Life. That one? Yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> You're on the and script. Also, also, I think that there are other gods out there that, that we can worship. You know, whether that's like laziness or, you know, uh, watching too much TV or idolizing something or a woman or whatever it is. Like, right. Uh, there's, still, there's still gods out there. You know. But I'd like to point out that what you're talking about, because it becomes kind of like an idolatry, we can even do with the truth. All right, I'm going to say that again. We, as Christians, can turn the truth sometimes into an idol. Let me explain how. If you go back to this slide, the question I'm asking, can we ever know the absolute truth? What is the absolute truth? God. Right. It's God. It's Jesus. When he answers the truth, he says, he doesn't say the truth is that, then fill in the blank. 
like, I'm the Lord, baptism as an adult, you know, all those like doctrines we come up with. Communion must be with those dry wafer things, okay? That churches fight about all the time, no drinking, no dancing, drinking, dancing, country music, okay. You know, he doesn't fill in doctrines. He says, I'm the truth. When we say, can we absolutely know the absolute truth? Yeah, the absolute truth is that Jesus is the truth. God is the truth. He's the standard. So we, again, should not be arrogant as Christians when we start to fight about what's true. Because if we cannot comprehend God, which is that slide, then when, he, when we talk about the truth, he's saying, I'm the truth. And I don't think we can comprehend him fully. We can know that what he says is true, and we can know that his attributes are true. But if we get to the position where we start walking around wearing the badge of truth, like I'm a Christian, I'm this type of Christian, I'm from this church, I'm from this denomination, I believe in these doctrines, therefore I have the truth, we're missing the point entirely. Part of some severe wounding for me in my growing up in the church has been in churches that would sell you that it's like, this is the truth. And, and uh, I got a lot of really jacked theology when I started fellowship with other people that were God that, that were God seekers and God lovers. And they go, JB, where did you get that from? I'm like, well, I was taught this for years. And they go, really? But where did you get and I, and I was kind of recalling a sermon back then. They go, that's what the scripture says. And I look at it and I go, God, the scripture doesn't say that, huh? So, I mean, even in good Bible-based churches, sometimes if we're really dogmatic about some things, we're not allowing other Christians or other people with perspectives that aren't Satanists or Buddhists or that are other God-fearing Christians to speak provocatively into us. Okay. A lot of you have asked me to read Rob Bell's book, Velvet Elvis. A lot of you have read it. I'm going on a journey through it myself in response to so many of you asked questions. I thought, I need to read it. Seems like after the Bible, there's Velvet Elvis. It's like the sequel. Everyone's talking about it. It's so influential. So I thought I would actually read from it. He talks about truth in this way. He's talking about the difference between some people who are like a brick and some people who are like a spring. They're flexible. His trampoline, he says, is made out of springs so he can jump up and down. It's flexible. It wouldn't be a very good trampoline if it had bricks, you know. And by the way, the example he cites as brick is some guy who is a creationist who says that if you don't believe in a six literal day creation, you're not a Christian. Thinking, I know exactly who he's talking about. We kind of made fun of him for 10 weeks during our science series. Here's what he says about things that challenge our notion of truth. What if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry? An archaeologist find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing the gospel writers threw in to appeal to the followers of the Mithra and Dionysian religious cults that were hugely popular at the time of Jesus, whose gods had virgin births. What if as you study the origin of the word virgin, you discover that the word virgin in the Gospel of Matthew actually comes from the book of Isaiah, and then you find out that in the Hebrew language at that time, the word virgin could mean several things. And what if you discover that in the first century, being born of a virgin also referred to a child whose mother became pregnant the first time she had intercourse? Could a person keep jumping 
In other words, keep believing. Could a person still love God? Could you still be a Christian? Is the way of Jesus still the best possible way to live? Or does the whole thing fall apart? If the whole faith falls apart when we examine and rethink one spring, then it wasn't really that strong in the first place, was it? A brick is fixed in size. It can't flex or change sizes because if it does, then it can't fit into the wall. What happens then is that the wall becomes the sum of the beliefs and God is only as big as the wall. But God is bigger than any wall. God is bigger than any religion. God is bigger than any worldview. God is bigger than the Christian faith. The reason I bring up this quote is it kind of goes to something that Ken was just talking about. That the Bible is absolutely true. That we need to find that the Bible is absolutely true. Because if you find in a place that it isn't absolutely true, the whole thing falls apart. But that kind of sounds like the brick mentality, not the spring mentality. So on the one side you have bricks, inflexible, but sound for building. And you have springs. Where are you in this thing? Do you think that Rob Bell is correct in saying that if Jesus had a father named Larry, that nothing really changes? We could still follow Jesus because it's still the best possible way to live. How does that strike you? Yeah. I, I would disagree with that because didn't Jesus say that? Now, you understand you're disagreeing with Rob Bell, right? Saint Rob Bell, right? <laughs> Of, okay, go ahead. No, I just wanted to warn you. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> Good for you. Because Jesus says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father in heaven. So if his father's Larry, ain't Larry, it's not God, you know? And so, and then I think that disproves the whole Trinity at that point. Okay, but what if the difference is Larry, Joseph? Like, it just wasn't Joseph, it was Larry. Well, that's a different scenario, though, because that was Joseph was technically, you know, it wasn't really his So if we got the name wrong, it's okay. Yeah, if it was if God named Joseph Larry instead of Joseph, then that doesn't even matter. It's a name. Okay. Unless it was in prophecy, which I don't think it was. So you think it's okay that they got the name wrong, maybe. But if the story's wrong and the virgin birth isn't really what you think it is, you have a problem. Okay? A couple weeks ago, four weeks ago, when we studied that Tomb of Jesus movie... One of the things we said was, if they found the body of Jesus, let's just say they did. We know in this hypothetical, that's absolutely the body of Jesus buried. He didn't actually rise from the dead. He's still in there. What would you do then? Would you still follow Jesus? Go, he's still the best way to go, even though it didn't work out so good. That resurrection story might not be true. Still better than everybody else. Everybody else is crazier. This is a little less crazy. Would you do that or would you just walk away from the whole thing? Yeah, it's absolutely like there's no doubt in this hypothetical. We all know. That's not absolutely true. So then you just say the whole thing's not true and you'd walk away, right? So that would destroy your faith. Okay, Philip? I'm not sure if I fully understand like the first slide. Say, first, it got the impression that saying, well, yes, the Bible isn't true because it wasn't virgin birth. And then saying, well, as you further go into it, that the real meaning of virgin birth could account for this. So. Oh. Is that what it's saying? And that I could say, well, yeah, we shouldn't be set in our, this is how it has to be. Instead, well, maybe we just understood it wrong, and it really is this. I think you're making a breakthrough there, and I want to freeze it, because I'm going to come back to that in a moment, okay? Freeze that thought for a second, okay? What are we scratching at here? In this continuum now, we have people in the church, I think, who are at the end of the continuum, where they go, I have absolutely no doubts whatsoever. Okay. 
whatever the Bible says, totally true, no doubts, that's what it is. Reminds me of the guy who's like, if you don't believe in six days, it says six days, six days. If you don't believe in the six days, you're not a Christian. There's absolutely no doubt it's six days. No doubt. When people have no faith, I believe it's because of fear. I believe that they're too afraid sometimes. Not always. And I'm not the one who believes this by myself. A lot of times we wait by the sidelines. This quote says, if we waited to follow Christ until all your questions were answered, you'd never follow him. Because our questions, even as Christians, will never be fully answered. But in fear, most people sit by the sidelines. They're afraid to step in and find out what would be true if this was really going to happen. Last week, Tony Campolo mentioned the doctrine of, well, the, 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 the idea of cognitive dissonance. The philosopher Kierkegaard brought it up first, and he said that if you have a situation where you have a set of beliefs, but you act differently, it creates doubt. Out of nothing else other than the fact that you're acting in contrary to your beliefs. The exact example he brought up last week was, you start to doubt there's a God. And his first question to all of his students is, when did you start having sex? They're like, what does that have to do with my belief in God? It has everything to do with your belief in God. Because you have a set of beliefs that tells you not to do something, you're acting in contravention of those beliefs. You yourself are creating the doubt because you start to fight and go, maybe the God, you know, I'm acting this way. Maybe he doesn't really mean I'm not supposed to. You start to wrestle. And it really all has to do with your conduct. You're the one that introduced that dissonance, that tension. Okay, that's easy enough to understand. We can diss the world all day long. The job of this group is not to diss the world, it's to diss ourselves. Right? I believe that there's just as much fear on the other side of people who cling to the no-doubt ideas. Just like the world is afraid to step out and admit that there might be a God that's going to change everything about their beliefs and everything about our world, where we'd have to give up our individual freedoms and our individual liberties and actually submit to a king and do what he wants instead of what we want, Christians who hang on to no doubt sometimes are also living out of a fear. And I wrote down, many Christians need everything to be in order to make sense just to protect our belief system. Let me give you two examples that Brian McLaren makes in one of his books. Okay, we've been tracking one of his books for this series. Two examples that he gives that I think are dead on. We talked about one of them before. The church preached for many years in the 1600s that the, that the sun rotated around the earth, right? Not just on their own, that biblically that's what it said. Galileo said, I have some doubt about that. Is it okay for him to doubt? Is it okay for him to say, I think there's some doubt about that doctrine. I don't know what it says in the Bible. Maybe we're misreading the Bible. Because I'm looking through my telescope and it doesn't look like it works that way. Another example. In the 1800s, many of us in this country and in Britain, many of us, we weren't around, but many of our forefathers and all those people justified slavery on biblical grounds. Preachers preached sermons that we still have where they talked about the fact that white people were God's people. And that anybody with dark skin was inferior and they were meant to be enslaved and they would cite passages from Paul and a whole bunch of other places. Was it okay for somebody to go, I doubt we've understood this correctly. 
I doubt we have interpreted it right. I'm not saying the Bible's not true. I'm not saying that there is an absolute truth. I'm saying that I'm not sure we got it. That we captured it. And I'm going to advocate that what if doubt comes not from what the Bible says, but from what Christians say the Bible says? What if that's a healthy level of doubt where when you look at a creation event that says six days... Brian McLaren also writes in his book about a number of his friends who were told by their well-meaning Sunday school teachers, but often not astronomers who were teaching, that you either believe the biblical account or you can't believe in God. So many of his friends, as they started to take biology and science, just said, okay, I stopped believing in God. That didn't work so good. Because what they were doing was looking at what the Bible says but it was really what Christians said the Bible says. Maybe we didn't have it right, right? That, that, that's risky, what Christians say the Bible says, because someone from the outside is going to look at what a Christian says and going to take their word for it most of the time. So we could actually be leading people astray. Leading people. But that does happen all the time. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people who will not believe in Christ because the person who told them about Christ doesn't really know what they're talking about. I've told you in this group that a lot of us, we joke about it, but a lot of us cite verses that are way out of context. It's dangerous because we're not reading the context. I'm not just looking at you, but, it's, but we have that, you know, we've, we've coined a phrase for it, the good times translation, because we're kind of just like, you know, just throwing out phrases. It's about context sometimes. And a lot of teaching is like a game of telephone. How many times have some person heard a sermon, they repeated it to their friend, that friend repeated it to a non-Christian, and it's all been mixed up already. And I'm not so sure all the time that the pastor got it right, by the way. And that's where you're talking about all that jacked up theology that we get, because it just gets translated through Christianity, and we keep adding a level of authority to it every time we repeat it. I think we should be constantly pressing towards the truth. I think we should recognize that we'll never actually possess the absolute truth in its entirety because the absolute truth is Christ himself. It's God who will not fit into our minds. We need to trust what he's told us is true. But we need to be careful that we're not rewriting or misinterpreting what is true. That there are times when we get doubts about something and they're not all bad. We've been taught in the church just, just doubt is all bad. Sometimes, like in the instance of slavery, it wasn't so bad. Sometimes that doubt leads us to deepen our faith. Sometimes that doubt is needed for us to grow. Yeah? I think that the no-doubt side is, is more of like a legalist side, but there are people of such high faith that I don't think that they have doubt. You know, we could take Daniel, for example. You think he had doubt when he was being thrown in the lion's den? I think a, a close example to that would probably be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if I could. Okay, and I'll tell you why I choose them instead of Daniel, because I don't know what Daniel's mindset was, but we do know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's mindset was. When they were being thrown to the fiery furnace, they say to the king, our Lord is going to protect us, and we will not bow down to you. But the next few words are the best ones of all. They say, but... Even if he does not, we will still not bow down to you. Does that mean they doubted? Well, it tells me that they aren't 
totally foreclosing the possibility that they might not be annihilated a few minutes later. But it's that level of surrender and faith. And I think that's where the faith really comes in the most, where they are saying to the king, we know that God is absolutely true and we're not going to bow down to anybody else. We believe he's going to save us. But just in case he doesn't, we still know the absolute truth. And I think that's the circle of where we can come out in a very healthy way. Where it's like, I know that Christ is absolutely God. I know he's absolutely true. I might not understand it in every way possible. I might not even understand all the doctrines. I might not be able to understand, articulate the Trinity. I might not be able to do a lot of things and I might be wrong even about some of my own theology. But I'm willing to entertain that doubt in a healthy way to make sure that our faith is constantly refined by the fire. So you're saying it's healthy to have doubt? I think it's, in some cases, absolutely healthy to have doubt. I think we'd live in a weird world if Galileo didn't doubt, you know? I'm talking about the people who just say, I have no doubts in my mind because I'm not going to even let them in. I know the truth and I'm going to know it, like you said, in a very legalistic way. You're clinging to this because it would, if I challenged you, your whole thing would crumble. That goes back to the brick example. Is there also pride on both of those ends? Yeah. You know, Christians are called to be cross-cultural. We end up being subcultural. We end up becoming, living in ghettos. Christians are called to reach out and love one another, but we wear these badges of pride. It's hard to even talk to people about the absolute truth when you're so proud you're wearing it. In a lot of our churches, people are applauding the absolute truth, not because they love it and worship it, but because they have it. And they feel like, we have it, we should applaud ourselves for having it. I mean, that's just, you can never love and be genuinely in a relationship with somebody that you're prideful over. And that's, that's deadly. Let's close uh, with a word of prayer and uh, wrap up in some worship. Lord, I think the only thing I have no doubt of tonight is you're probably looking down from heaven wondering, like, how the heck we could screw up so many things that you've said and not get them right. Or how it is that we can have churches that profess to be the body of Christ, and yet we're so segmented and divided that it'd be hard to see us as a whole person. Lord, it's just the sinful way in which we try to administer what's otherwise perfect. I just tell you, Lord... I confess on behalf of your people and myself that we just so hard sometimes. But Lord, teach us to press on towards the truth. Teach us to press on towards you. You are the truth. That we're not going to ever possess it or fully understand it, but we can still love you as the truth and hope to share you with the rest of the world. Lord, banish pride from our midst. I'm thankful that this group is not one that's steeped in pride. It never is. But Lord, take the pride away from your people and help us to love so that we can love them freely without the pollution of pride in the way. And help those, Lord, who fear that you might be real. Help them to set that aside and press towards the goal and realize, Lord, that what you have to offer is so much more than they can ever imagine and so much more than what they're giving up. We pray for all of the coming of the nations to you, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen.